This morning, I would like to speak to you about living in the secret place of the Most High God. And I would like to pray and just commit our time to the Lord so that we are able to receive revelation this morning. Heavenly Father, we commit this time to you this morning and we thank you once again that you're a good God. We want to thank you, Father, that, Lord, uh, we have this time available as we come around to reading and the proclamation of the Scriptures. And once again, Holy Spirit, we trust that uh, you, as the true teacher of the church, you will impart truth into our lives. You will remind us of things that we already know, and you will show us new things so that our lives can be enriched and we can be ready for these last days. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, I would like to for us to study the Word together around the subject of divine protection. Everybody say divine protection. You know, once we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, all New Testament covenant rights and privileges uh, that have been purchased for us by Jesus Christ, uh, they belong to us. Um, and uh, promises such as Psalm 91 become like a divine insurance policy for us. Uh, how do you know where Psalm 91 is? Praise God. Psalm 91, of course, is in the book of Psalms. Psalm 91, we will comment on it uh, in just a little while, is a wonderful psalm filled with wonderful promises from beginning to end, and all of these promises become ours once we are in Christ. Uh, and specifically here in Psalm 91, verse 1 and 2, it says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. And so as we get started, uh, let me just say that my heart always is to train and to equip people for successful living, to train and equip, equip people to serve God effectively, but to also train and equip an end-time uh, end army uh, of believers to reach out, to harvest the souls that you and I are called to harvest, and to also to be able to stand in these last days. And all one needs to do is read through the Gospels where Jesus talked about end times, Matthew chapter 20, Four, Luke chapter 21, where Jesus prophesied and spoke about wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, uh, famines, uh, uh, and, and everything that's going on in the last days. You and I need to develop our faith in the area of divine protection. Uh, and all you need to do is uh, read the news or watch the news on television and look at some of the disasters that are going on. If it's not a wildfire, it's a wild water or flood or something else going on. You know, they call, it, they call it global warming, or they call it climate change, but we call it end times, all right? Because the Bible has prophesied that some of these things are going to be happening, not just on the earth, but also heavenly bodies. There is a shifting and a rearranging going on right now, and the world, naturally speaking, is becoming a more dangerous place to live. And you and I, we need to uh, develop our faith so that we can live in this place, yet not be... Uh, overtaken by any accidents, any calamities, any disease, any plague, or any such thing. So friends, the Bible speaks about a place called the secret place of the Most High God. All right? And uh, it speaks there about living under the shadow of 
Almighty God. And first off, I would like to point out that this is not necessarily a physical place, or not so much a physical place, it is more a spiritual position that we move into and that we live in. Now, it is a physical place in the sense that if God's called us to one place, then we ought not to be at another place. Uh, uh, you know, if God calls, it, calls us here, then we ought not to move over there. And sometimes the way that people move around, it almost seems like there is no will of God. But many, many times the will of God involves a locality for us. But nonetheless, people can live in the right locality, but still not be living in the secret place uh, of the Most High God. The words, my refuge and my fortress, uh, where the psalmist speaks, uh, it uh, means that it is a place or a position very close to God. Uh, where we run to from danger and where we live permanently for safety as well as for protection. Um, and when the psalmist says, he says, my God, he says, in him will I trust. It means that we do not live there automatically just because we are Christians, but we got to find this place and we got to use our faith to live in this place. God does not want us to visit there occasionally and move back in and out. God wants us to live in the place of safety permanently. All right? So find the place and occupy this place. Psalm 91, as I said earlier on, is a psalm that is filled with wonderful promises. And when the Bible speaks about this secret place of the Most High God, uh, there is wonderful promises attached to this secret place that we can really only fully receive if we're in this place. If we're out of the place, the promises are there, but we have not fully obtained them. Uh, and uh, as I said, there is promises of deliverance from and then protection from disasters, from diseases, from accidents, from calamities, where we are living in a place where these things do not come near us. Uh, one verse says, A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. And so many years ago as a young believer, I soon realized that I needed to use my faith in all areas of living, uh, including in the area of protection, protection from sickness and disease, but not just from sickness and disease, but also from accidents and calamities. Uh, and uh, so I decided that I was going to learn Psalm 91 off by heart, put it into my heart, put it into, into memory, and make it a confession that I'm able to confess and meditate in this word. And you will be pleased to know that I pray Psalm 91 over your lives and over your loved ones on a regular basis. And if truth be known, that there's very little bad stuff that goes down in the life of this church for people who are truly a part of the house because we are praying and we got other people that are praying so that these things don't come, don't come near us. It says, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. So there is a place where things don't come near us. Sometimes people think, well, you know, sometimes you just get sick and then you just got to believe God for healing. And, and it's wonderful when people receive their healing. But friends, here's the better testimony. And I keep on saying this. Uh, the better testimony is to stay healthy and not have to get sick. People think, what a wonderful testimony 
hear this person got healed from this terrible disease, from that terrible disease, and people get excited, and so we should. We should be excited. But here's a person over here that has developed their faith in the area of just cruising through the day, cruising through the week, cruising through the month, cruising through the year. They are a person that, that not only use faith, but they look after themselves physically. They don't hardly get no colds. They don't get no, no, uh, no, no, no flus going through the year because there is such a place available. And friend, let me tell you right now, I'm preaching to you about a high level of faith now that, that needs to be preached. Uh, because, uh, because if we don't know what's available to us in Christ, we can't extend our, our faith. And, and I'm not here to, in any way, to look down or to talk down on anybody that's struggling in some of these areas. We still have to preach the word. All right? We still have to preach the word. And so we got all of these wonderful promises here. I remember many years ago, I listened to a minister of the gospel, and he's a very, very well-known man. Um, probably not so around today. Uh, I think he might still be alive, but he would have, I suppose, slowed down in terms of ministry. And I listened to him talking about some of these scriptures in, in, in Proverbs and in, in the Psalms. And uh, he was talking to a group of people that had experienced some terrible things. Uh, and he said, look, he says, I know what the word says over here. He says, but, you know, he says, you need to realize these are, pr these are, these are probabilities. Uh, uh, these are probabilities. And I thought, gosh, if I buy into that lie right now, it's going to rob me of faith. Friends, the word are not probabilities. They are promises that will come to pass for whoever lays a hold of them and extends their faith towards that. All right. So Psalm 91 is not a probability. They are promises because what the man was purporting was that, yeah, I know what, that's what it says over here, but sometimes just bad stuff goes down and you can't help it. You've got to do the best you can. Friend, I don't want to move into end times uh, further and deeper with this kind of mentality. We need a high level of faith so we're still going to be around when Jesus returns, if he returns in our lifetime. All right, so praise God. Uh, just thought I'd throw that out there. I'm not here to discourage you. I'm here to encourage you. But the word needs to be preached, friend. Uh, there is a place in the word that we need to preach uh, uh, and so that faith can come and we can lay a hold of that which belongs to us. Psalm 91 verse 10, No evil shall befall you, and no plague shall come near your dwelling. Have you know that that requires no explanation? Uh, it doesn't say most evil doesn't befall you. It says no evil shall befall you. It doesn't say most plagues don't come near your dwelling. No plague comes near your dwelling. You know they talk about the flu, the bird flu, the swine flu, all of these infectious diseases. But friend, you and I, we can have walk in a level of faith where we're not in the slightest concern about what goes on in the world? Because again, Psalm 91 says, A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Of course, you still got to be wise. You still got to use common sense um, and so forth. But when the word says no evil, it says no evil. I mean, there'd be no accidents. There'd be no calamity. There are no disasters that we get uh, involved in or that we get caught up in. I remember many years ago, I heard a testimony of a massive earthquake that went down uh, up in uh, uh, one of the nations in Asia. Uh, and uh, we had a family represented in the church at that time whose brothers and sisters were in a particular tall building when the earthquake went down. And the earthquake did go down and the building collapsed and most people inside were killed. But those family members uh, of, this, uh, of these 
these people that we had in the house at that time, they were all Christians, they were praying people, and there were two uh, siblings uh, in, the, in that building at the time, and before the earthquake came, they had a strong sense of not having lunch in the canteen, which is what they would have normally done. They had a strong sense to go out. And when they went out, they were protected outside rather than having a building collapse on them. So what I'm saying to you and to me today is that sometimes stuff will go down around us. Absolutely it will. As I said, the Bible is true. Read Matthew 24, read Luke 21. There will be wars. There will be rumors of wars. There will be earthquakes. There will be uh, famines and other stuff going down in diverse places, but it shall not come near us. It's not going to wipe us out. We're not going to get washed away in some tsunami or something terrible like that. I remember many years ago, I was preaching along the lines of end times and and as we do, uh, we produce an outline, and some of these outlines, they just lie around afterwards. Uh, and, uh, and because we try to have some extras, and uh, we hope that everybody considers outlines precious and take it with them and take it to the small group so they've got a discussion document with them. By the way, it's a good idea to write some things down so you're better equipped when you get into the small group meeting during the week. But anyway, I had one of those outlines, and uh, I had uh, printed on there the scripture from Luke chapter 21, where the Bible speaks about the sea and the waves are roaring, uh, something to that effect. Uh, uh, again, Jesus speaking about end times and that was right at the top of the outline on the front page and so I had one of those uh, in the car and I took an acquaintance of mine for a ride from A to B uh, here's a man uh, and we are talking now back in 2004 when was the Boxing Day tsunami up in, in Asia there Boxing Day tsunami 2004 I believe and anyway um, I had this outline there, uh, and then uh, it had been lying around for a couple of weeks already, and the man picked it up, and, uh, and for all intents and purposes, he was friendly towards Christians, but he was not a believer, or certainly not in my estimation. And he picked this up, and he, and he looked at the date, and he says, he says who wrote this? Uh, I says, wrote what? Well, well, this piece of paper. Well, I says, it's one of our outlines that we use on a, on a Sunday. That's what we preach from. And he says, what's this here? Uh, pointing to the reference. I says, well, that's in the Gospel of Luke. He says, well, what does it say there? Well, I says, exactly what you're reading here. And he was so impressed <laughs> with that roaring of the waves and everything because the Boxing Day tsunami, that's about all we heard on the news back then. And he suddenly realized, it so took him, that he suddenly realized that the Bible speaks about events that are happening right now. But even if one of those were to happen, God will warn us to move from A to B to get out of danger. Uh, and as I say, stuff will go down, but it does not have to come near us. Now, let me talk to you about the curse of the Lord, because all of that ties together. Uh, if we look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, the first 14, 15 verses are the blessing that are listed there, but the remaining about 50 odd verses are all listing the curses of the Lord. That if you do not obey the Lord your God, this is all stuff that's going to happen to you. And if you were to trim down um, all the uh, curses of the Lord, specifically listed from verse 15 through the verse Verse 68, we were able to summarize them and put them into categories. We come up with four, four headings, four lines, four categories. Number one, sickness and disease. It's part of the curse. Number two, accidents, calamities, and disasters. 
Everything will just go wrong. Stuff will be stolen from you. Things will break. Uh, uh, there, there'll be enemy people coming in to raid everything. You're, everything taken from you. Uh, and that'll, and that'll all lead to poverty. That's the, f- the third area, poverty. And extreme lack in poverty. Number four, spiritual death. All right. So what you and I need to understand that accidents and calamities are part of the curse. We don't need to experience them. Because in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So here's the point, friends. If Christ has truly redeemed us from the curse of the law, from the whole curse, and he has, then he's also redeemed us from accidents, calamities, disasters, and all those kinds of things. And now, it is your privilege and mine and your responsibility and mine to use our faith to lay hold of these promises and begin to walk by faith which will lift us above the experience of the curses and uh, lift us into this place called the secret place of the Most High God, to shift us into the blessing territory, to move us out of the curses territory, to move us into the blessing territory. Now, I've got a few uh, things listed here why people, including Christians, still experience part of the curse. Now, I'm not about to suggest that uh, if Christians are still experiencing part of the curse, I'm not about to say they are cursed. But I'm saying they're still experiencing the curse. The Bible says all Christians are blessed, but people are still experiencing part of the curse because they have not yet learned on how to use their faith. They've not yet come to a place of understanding what really belongs to us in Christ. You know, the early days, many Christians are just glad that they're saved, and so they should be. But salvation, my friend, is not just about going to heaven. Salvation is all to protect us from temporary evils that we're experiencing in the earth today. Remember the curse. Uh, in fact, I was teaching on some of these things up in Asia. And gosh, they certainly appreciated it. And boy, do they need it. Do they need it and to raise their faith level in the area of accidents and sickness and disease and teaching some messages on prosperity to bring them into a place of, of prosperity flowing. Uh, and, uh, and we realized that part of the curse, uh, say, if it's Christ redeemed us from spiritual death, which is salvation, so that eventually we don't go to hell, we go to heaven. All right? Then he's uh, redeemed us from sickness and disease. Now, all Christians must believe that we're redeemed from spiritual death. Otherwise, people are not Christians. If they don't believe in Christ and his finished work on the Calvary, they're not saved. But you see, right there, we're talking about preaching the full gospel. We don't just preach salvation going to heaven, but we also preach salvation from sickness and disease. We preach salvation from poverty. We preach prosperity, and we also preach preach salvation from protection from all sorts of stuff because we believe in the full gospel, not just part of the gospel. And the church world worldwide will agree with the first one, but not, still not everybody believes in divine healing. Many people don't know about divine protection. They don't know it's a promise that's there for them. And uh, certainly many Christians do not believe in divine prosperity, but yea, they preach against it. And part of my message up there 
uh, I sort of gave them a couple of options of what I could teach on if I get there and, uh, and I ended up teaching on the Holy Spirit, teaching on faith, teaching on, on uh, divine prosperity. And the pastor said, we would like to hear about divine prosperity. And I was encouraging the believers there and gosh, that's Poor people sitting there, poor, very poor. Uh, uh, many of them are unemployed and there is no social welfare. So, you know, how do you get by? Uh, it's very difficult. But I said, friend, here's the deal. I come from one of the richest countries in the world in per capita. And some studies have been done. Uh, of course, one might question the methodology. But according to a study that's been done by the Swiss Credit Bank, uh, uh, people is that New Zealand is number six in terms of wealth across the population per capita. All right. And uh, so I says, I come from one of the richest countries in the world. I didn't have to tell them that they lived in one of the poorest countries. I didn't have the heart to tell them. They already knew that. But I says, here's the deal. We got poor people in our country. So I said, don't you think that uh, you would do better necessarily if you were in a rich country because God wants to prosper you where you are. And God wants to disconnect you from earth's economy and connect you up with heaven's economy so that you're able to prosper. And I said to the pastor, uh, you know, sometimes it's not uncommon for them to sort of place a level of expectation for visiting people coming in from the rich countries to, can you do this for us? Can you do that for us? I says, pastor says, I'm joining my faith with yours. I says, the people in this house are going to prosper and going way, way, way up high. Because I was bragging about some of our young people here. And I said, you know, we've got young people in our house that have grown up here. And we, we encouraged them and we taught them to apply themselves. And go and get yourself educated. And get yourself with a skill under your belt and so forth. And, and I said, the reason I'm able to come here and, and, and things are fully funded is, is, is we come, I come from a house of people that are not wealthy necessarily because they live in a wealthy country. But because they've applied themselves and used their faith to rise into a level in the economics uh, that, uh, you know, sadly, you know, you look at, uh, at uh, you know, average churches here or there, you get a gathering of unemployed, depressed people. But these people need to be taught uh, so that we can rise up financially because that's part of the blessing. All right? Are we doing all right this morning? Okay, I just wanted to make sure some of you are getting awfully quiet on me. <laughs> so I want to talk to you about uh, four areas quickly. Why Christians still experience part of the curse. I'm not in any way saying they are cursed. I'm saying they're experiencing part of the curse. And here's why. Number one, for a lack of knowledge. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. God says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. That's why the pastor up there said, look, I would like for you to teach on divine prosperity. It's like, it seems like that's a message they hadn't heard before. And I said to him afterwards, and I said to him afterwards, when I preach prosperity, I do so unashamedly and I do so quite aggressively. Because to shift people from where they are, I know where I've come from. The church upbringing that I've come from, the ministers have vowed a vow of poverty. I've been under a bubble of poverty growing up in that environment. And not only uh, naturally speaking in the sense, but spiritually speaking, to bust me out of that wasn't done by gentle, uh, oh, God wants to help you. No, no, no. It needed some very powerful preaching. And the minister that I was under that I first heard prosperity from, he wasn't backwards and coming forward and he bust me out of that place. So I said to the pastor, I says, look, I hope that was all right for you today. But as I've learned to shift people from poverty into prosperity, you've got to preach prosperity. Don't make them feel good in their poverty. Poverty is part of the curse. You've got to shift them into prosperity. And only strong teaching and preaching will do that. And you don't preach one prosperity message and then another poverty message. 
That's why I'm careful whom I let into the house here. But I don't want no poverty preaching in this house. So there's enough going on around the world. We don't need that here. We are prosperity people. Unashamed. And what we are able to do up in, in those nations where we have just been... <clears throat> It's because we are prosperity people. It's because we are a faithful people in the area of tithes and offering. It's because uh, God has prospered us and, uh, and, and, and God is able to lift anybody where they are right now and move them into a whole new place economically. And God will do that if people learn how to lay hold of the promises. That's why we teach on faith. That, that's the reason why we are a, a teaching church. We don't just preach. We don't just bounce around. We teach people how to make their lives work. So Hosea, God says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 13, God says, therefore my people have gone into ca captivity because they have no knowledge. And the concern that I always have is that Malachi tells us, God speaking to the priest, God says to the priest, he says, knowledge is to be found from the lips of the priest. If there's a lack of knowledge in the pews, it's because there's a lack of knowledge in the pulpit. It's where ministers don't preach the full gospel. There's a lack of knowledge there, and there's a lack of knowledge in the people, and then the devil will come in and rob, kill, and steal, and destroy in people's lives because they have a lack of knowledge. Number two, failure to claim the promises. Failure to claim the promises. You know, when the faith message first was started to get preached in our nation back in the, uh, I suppose you, we might say back in the 80s, it came into our country. It was opposed by the church world by and large. Uh, and they used to talk about these name it and claim it people. Name it and claim it. That was one of the terms that was used. Uh, and every now and then I say, yep, guilty as charged. I name it and I claim it. And I do so unashamedly. And I, I don't want no well-meaning Christians come and tell me that uh, God, says, God has brought me into a life of poverty. God's brought me into a life of prosperity. God wants to supply all of our needs. God does not want us to live on the bread line. That's where we might start out. But when we start to trust God and we lay hold of the promises, God will lead us and guide us in the way that we should go. God says, I will teach you to profit. Isaiah chapter 48. He says, and I will show you the way that you must go. God will not only show us the way spiritually, God will show us the way economically. Um, and so when people don't claim the promises, they're sitting there, but they're not actualized into people's lives. It's a bit like I talked earlier about an insurance policy. You know, if something were to happen and somebody says, well, I'm insured against that, but if they don't make a claim uh, in regards to what's gone down, then the promise is just sitting there. The commitment from the insurance company is just sitting there, but it's not being drawn on. God's put the promises into his word so that you and I draw on that and believe God uh, to raise us up to that level. Um, the psalmist here in Psalm 91 verse 2, he says, I will say of the Lord. All right, he, he's now claiming his place of protection by faith and he's stating in his faith in God with the words of his own mouth. Remember how a while ago we said that amongst other things, faith speaks. And faith needs to make a clear confession. It mustn't do a waffle, maybe. Faith needs to be clear. And the psalmist says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and He is my fortress. He doesn't say maybe. Maybe, hopefully, He says, no, God's my refuge. God's my fortress. He says, in Him I will trust. 
In him I will trust. Friend, I encourage you to be very clear and precise in your faith confession. Don't allow yourself to waffle and to get into, oh, you know, I'm hoping this will work out. No, no, no. God is our refuge. God is our fortress. God is our provider. God is our healer. God is all of these things to us. So failure number two uh, is failure to claim the promises. Number three, human errors, mistakes, and uh, sometimes just a lack of wisdom. Now many accidents and many calamities and mishaps happen, they occur, because people make wrong decisions. Or they would engage in extreme activities or make outright foolish mistakes. Now when we were traveling up in Asia there, I had great faith in that driver. In fact, he was a very good driver. I was impressed. I thought, gosh, how'd you get through that? You know, like that was just, it's just amazing. And I'm not talking about easing his way through at three, five k's an hour. He's traveling through there at 70, 80 k's an hour. It's just impressive. But he's not beyond making a mistake. But here's the deal. When I'm in his car, God will cover for his mistakes. I absolutely have total, total faith that God will cover for his mistakes. But regarding my mistakes... I want to be a bit more careful because the Bible says you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Sometimes people engage in things they shouldn't engage in. So whether that's, uh, you know, extreme sports. I was just watching, you know, sitting in planes for multiplied hours. So I flip around a bit on my screen and I come across this documentary where these couple of guys doing... Um, mountain biking, and they're not just up on some hill like we have. They're literally up in the mountains, and they're not just going down like this. They're dropping down like that. They've got a helmet on, and they're making films. It's obviously their way of making money. Um, and I guess if they had been Christians, God's told them to do that, then God will protect them. But if I were to engage in that, I would call that an extreme activity that I do not have faith for. Now, I go out diving... Um, as I mentioned from time to time, I'm a scuba diver. Um, and uh, scuba diving, I'm always fully aware, so as soon as I leave the domain that I'm made for, which is land, I get into the water, that's fish's domain. Now, I'm not a fish. Now, of course, there's wonderful uh, 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 um, equipment around today, uh, and I need to make sure that my equipment is well maintained, uh, and I need to make sure that I play by the rules, because in the water, when you're outside your own environment, uh, you're getting into territory, you, the mistakes are unforgiving. You make one mistake, you cut a corner there, and you get another one, you're gone. And then people say, oh, you know, that poor Christian. Well, you know, we need to just be careful where we go, what we do, activities, certain types of extreme sports. Uh, I would not engage him because for a start, I have no need uh, for a major adrenaline rush. You know, I watched this documentary once of this base jumping. How many of you know what base jumping is? Uh, base jumping is where people strap a, a parachute to their backs and they, they, they jump off of structures, you know, high buildings, uh, uh, radio towers, TV towers, Auckland Harbour Bridge, uh, various other things, base jumping. And what they do is they jump down and then they wait as long as what they came before they pull that uh, thing and it gives them an amazing adrenaline rush they pull this thing out and it just catches them and then they hit the ground uh, I have no need for base jumping um, 
if I did, I would not have faith. If God told me to do it, I'd have faith to uh, protect me. But, uh, you know, with some of that stuff, there will be accidents, uh, some of the extreme sports. Uh, uh, I would, uh, I would uh, personally not have great faith that if I were to engage in a particular sport here in New Zealand that shall remain unnamed, because I realize I'm in a rugby nation here, but at the high level of sport, uh, we are not told, uh, we're only told about the good money that these people make. We're not told about the injuries that they sustain when they come out of their rugby career. Oh, no, I just mentioned it now. <laughs> rugby career out the other side. And because they don't complain, for the most part, many of them are nursing injuries to the rest of their lives. There will be accidents at a certain level. And if people say, God's taught me to get into that, I say, well, good on you. Then let's trust God together. But if I were to get into that, I wouldn't have great faith that I come out the other side after career without having some sustained some things. Have you have heard of that nitro circus thing that, and actually they're coming to Wellington, and this is not a plug to, for you to go and see, but if you do, you know, just enjoy it. Nitro circus, these guys have got together. It's extreme in every way. There's accidents all the time. Because accidents will happen when people fly through the air and they do this and stunts there and the other and so forth. I haven't got faith for that for myself, so I will not engage in that sort of stuff. So we need to be careful. We need to establish our faith level, what we got faith for. And you know, many accidents and calamities happen because people sometimes make silly decisions, uh, foolish decisions, just lack of wisdom uh, because the Holy Spirit's with us all the time and when we go somewhere where we shouldn't, there'll be a hesitation, there'll be a check in our spirit. Uh, you know, there's a certain place when I go down underwater at a certain place and oh, no, I think I've reached my limit. When I get up to at a certain level, says okay, I think I'm on the edge of my limits and any, any way beyond that I don't need to because my job doesn't involve it and, uh, and uh, why my, my, my map here? So as I say, it's just being careful that we're not stepping out beyond. Uh, you know, the devil took Jesus up on the mount, uh, on the uh, temple, on the top of the temple when uh, Jesus was being tempted by the devil for, you know, uh, fasting and praying for 40 days, 40 nights. And at the end of that, Satan came to tempt Jesus. And amongst other things, he took him up to this temple and he says, throw yourself down. He says, because it says in the word, you know, that God has given his angels charge over you, which is actually out of Psalm 91. And Jesus says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Yes, Jesus could have thrown himself down. And yes, he could possibly have had faith to survive uh, and, and to land on his feet like Superman would. Who knows? I don't know. But, but why do it? Uh, he says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And sometimes Christians are tempting the Lord their God, but stepping out beyond what God's told them to do, or they get sloppy. I know when I do skiing, for example, uh, uh, I know at the end of the day when I get tired, I've got to be doubly careful. So when you get tired, you've just got to take all of these factors into consideration because with various activities, there's varying degrees of danger attached to it. And you and I need to plan properly and then use best practice in order to mitigate those dangers and not get caught out. So, uh, Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 9, it says, He who quarries stones may be hurt by them, and he who splits wood may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength, but wisdom brings success. 
he who quarries stones may be hurt by them. When I grew up, there was a rope built in front of our house. Uh, they upgraded the road, which was a rural road. I grew up in a farming uh, community there. My parents, because they owned land there, they had to give uh, voluntary labor so many hours as part of the deal to get the rope built. It was only partly funded and so forth. And so there was a quarry because all the roading was first when the bulldozer pulled out the path, they laid big stones down and, and get it, got everything ready then to put on the tarsil. So there was a quarry. Um, I forget now how old I was. I would have been maybe, I don't know, five, six years old at that stage, uh, uh, old enough to run around a little bit. And I was in the quarry there one day with my parents, uh, and uh, they were also working there. Uh, they used big pneumatic hammers to drill holes into the rock face uh, and then fill it up with dynamite. And back then, they didn't have the electric charge. Back then, they still had the fuse that had to be lit. And the foreman of the gang was the man that hopped around the rocks to light the fuses. Uh, he actually stayed at our house uh, because he was from a, a neighboring town and he stayed with us and we got to know him quite well. And I was always amazed how I was able to hop from rock to rock and start and, and everything and get away before everything blew up. And he sort of timed everything and with the length of the fuse that he lit up, he had it all worked out. But you know, one mistake and he breaks his leg jumping from one to the other, he's gone. Because that's a very unforgiving environment. Even as uh, Ecclesiastes tells you, if you quarry rocks, you may be hurt. You've got to be doubly careful. One day, I was on the quarry again, and of course it was always fun to watch. Uh, so about 300 meters from the rock face, there was a hut. And so they said, go into that hut there. And, uh, and I think my mother shoved me inside. I don't know where she went. And I'm in the hut, and I'm waiting for the blast. There was a bit of a window, and I was looking, around, looking out, and suddenly this almighty crash, uh, almighty explosion. And then, of course, there's dust and stones flying, and little stones hitting the hut. And that's why I was inside. Uh, and when we came out, we discovered there was a boulder uh, almost uh, a cube, almost uh, a perfect cube of about a meter and a half that had flown 200 meters from the rock face, and I was only 300 meters away, and it, it slammed right down, and there was dust and stuff everywhere and everything. So the moral of the story is this, be careful when you're working in dangerous environments, because it can get you if you're not planning properly, and if you get too bold and too careless in these types of environments. Uh, it says, if the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, he will have to use more strength. But wisdom brings success. Everybody say, wisdom brings success. We're closing very shortly. Let me just wrap things up here. Uh, if the axe is dull, one's got to use more strength. I grew up on a farm. As I said, in the early days, it was all hand-driven machinery. Uh, there was the, the scythe to cut the grass. There was the axe to cut the, uh, the, uh, the, the wood and everything. Uh, a dull axe. You see, most accidents in a work environment don't happen with, with, with sharpened tools. They happen with blunt tools. And uh, I like, I come from the area of, you know, the hospitality industry, from the catering thing, and we always had knives, and they always had to be sharp. When my brother comes to visit me, uh, our older brother taught him how to sharpen knives. And when he comes, he sharpens knives, and boy, he puts a niche on it that is nothing short of impressive. His wife says, uh, better watch it, she says, because when he's finished, those knives are no longer knives, they are weapons. Uh, and, he, and she's right, like, boy, he puts an edge on these things. So I tell everybody, all right, guys, from here on, just watch the knives, they're no longer blunt. But you know, I've, as I say, I've worked in that industry for 17 years, and I've seen some horrible cuts and some horrible things, mostly with blunt knives, not with sharp knives. 
Uh, see an X that's kind of, uh, what do you call it, uh, not sharpened, it's liable to bounce off and keep going and come back around. But if it's sharp, it'll go into the wood as it is intended to do. And you and I need to learn when we're in a dangerous environment to use the proper tools, to set it up properly, to have everything sharpened properly, and use our wisdom because that will bring success. What's the other word there? It says, uh, he who splits wood may be endangered by it. Uh, so, so all around, uh, is there a place for us to live in the secret place? Uh, of the Most High God? Absolutely, but we still got to use wisdom and make good decisions. And then finally, uh, the fourth area, and this is the last one I'm going to cover, uh, is that uh, one of the reasons why uh, people still experience part of the curse is because God's hedge of protection is broken down. Uh, Job, the book of Job, uh, Satan appears before the Lord and he speaks about Job and he says to, to, to God, he says, well, God, he says, uh, the only reason why Job loves you is because you put a hedge around him and e around everything he has and around his loved ones. Uh, so when we believe for protection, we believe for ourselves, for our, for our loved ones and for all of our stuff and all of our affairs. I believe in an all-covering uh, accident protection insurance on everything over everything, not just uh, ourselves, the person, but all the stuff. And so there is a hedge of protection, and we don't have time to get into the story with Job and with the devil uh, dialoguing with, uh, with Job. But here we see in Ecclesiastes, it says that he that digs a pit shall fall into it, and him that breaks down the hedge, a serpent will bite. Um, friends, we can break down the hedge of protection that's around us by the wrong words we speak. We can break down the hedge of protection, which seems to have been the case with Job, where he's just in constant fear. He's just in constant fear. He wasn't actually a, totally a faith man. He was sort of quite fearful. Some of his religious activities he didn't do out of faith. He did it out of fear because he was always concerned there might be accidents with his kids and what's happened. All right, so friends, fear. Let's not entertain fears. Let's be people of faith. Do not be afraid of an accident when you step into the car going from A to B. Have faith that nothing will go wrong. And when your kids go out, don't be afraid if they will come home or not. Have faith that they will come home because we are faith people. We're not fear people. And always speak words of life because with words of death, we can tear down that hedge of protection that God's placed around us. And of course, the whole area of sin, that if Christians think that they can engage in sin ongoing and think that they get away with, with it, that is called deception because with sin in our lives, unrepented uh, and ongoing, it tears down that hedge, and then the Bible says a uh, serpent will come in and bite. And so let's trust God in this area that uh, our faith level goes to an entirely new level, that we are totally prepared for the last days, that we can live in an environment where, you know, to a certain extent, end time events happen, but they will not come near us. It says, only with our eyes shall we behold and see what happens to other people, but it shall not touch us. And we're going to wrap up right there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you once again, Lord, for the place that Jesus Christ has purchased for us through his sacrificial suffering and death on the cross. Lord, you've not only redeemed us from our sins, but you've also redeemed us from our sicknesses, from our diseases. You've redeemed us from poverty. You've redeemed us from accidents and calamities. And Lord, here we are this morning, and if we have experienced uh, uh, some of those things in the past, we now realize that they are part of the curse, so we reject them outright. 
in Jesus' name. And Lord, we are rising up in faith to believe, Lord, that we are moving deeper and further into the secret place of the Most High God, where no evil befalls us, no plague comes near our dwelling. And Father, I just pronounce a blessing over every family represented here this morning. Be blessed, be prosperous, be protected in the mighty name of Jesus. You, your loved ones, and all of your affairs, that no evil comes near you. No plagues comes near your dwelling in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone that agreed with this prayer said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a good afternoon.